You're listening to Noise Extra. I'm here with my co-host Tara Connolly. Hello. Mike Connolly. Hello. And our guest today is Adam Fritz of N Nile. Hey Adam. Hello. How are y'all? Doing all right. Thank you for joining us. Absolutely. In previous episodes, I've talked about Labyrinth Recordings and being one of the first labels that I got into and your cassette, Assertive Order of Obedience. I can't remember if I got the Blood Dreams Pure CD first or that one, but certainly like in my discovery of, of noise and finding new projects and stuff, your project was was very early on and always stuck with me. I mean, obviously that Labyrinth tape with its uh, stunning cover and <laughs> and of course, we've talked and extolled the virtues of the Pure series here countless times and we'll continue to do so and uh we thought it was about time we talked to you i mean you were active in the 90s and mm -hmm. you're active currently and and yeah. since you know what about 2010 you you started releasing stuff again so why don't we start at the beginning uh okay. how did you get into noise what was your path what what got you hooked on this and and starting making it oh um let's think about it for a hot second you know it's funny i was thinking about this stuff last night and you get on here and you start to brain freeze, but Oh, honestly, these are, um, <laughs> these are the memory erasers. We call yeah. the mics, yeah. the memory erasers. Yeah. No, it's, it's all good. I'll, I'll, um, I'll dig it up here in a second. Um, so yeah, I would say 93, 94, you know, being into stuff like, you know, skinny puppy and, you know, some of the electro industrial stuff, you know, being really enamored with, you know, the four AD sound and, and, you know, things like that. So it kind of just, it was a need to kind of be creative on my own. So, you know, listening to that type of stuff, you know, you, you go on and you discover, uh, I don't know, like the more true industrial stuff, you know? So you start out with like the industrial, which is, you know, skinny puppy and more electronic ministry and leather right. strip and things like that. And then it wasn't accessible for me, you know, cause it was like, I wanted to record. I wanted to create my own stuff. I wanted to, make my own music. And I wasn't musically inclined. I couldn't see myself sequencers and several keyboards. And, you know, so it started out with just very crude tape experiments, you know, um, just, you know, directly into the tape deck, just drum machine and, and just messing around with that and eventually getting a pedal and eventually getting a, a sampler that was super cheap, but it had like a 20 second, you know, sampling time. And, you know, that's where the kind of the, the origin of, you know, those, those early, like harshest records, like, um, you know, the heavy electronics tape, uh, the sort of order tape, the, the, the blood dreams tape, where you have a lot of those leap looping, crunchy building kind of tracks that, you know, basically they're just sample based, you know, and, and you would kind of add to them and kind of build on those. And those are kind of the first things that I did. You know, of course, in the beginning, they were much cruder. It wasn't until I got to the, you know, the, the triple art um, here CD and, the, you know, the thing I did for Eric and then later on the Labyrinth tape that I really kind of got the most out of that, you know, type of sound and recording. You know, and then, of course, there was kind of the other side of it, which was a little more introspective, kind of ambient kind of atmospheric ethereal kind of thing that I was doing too. And they kind of just kind of, there's a duality to it, you know? So it was, it was the same, I was kind of doing the same thing, but it was wearing two faces, you know, it was kind of had different sides, to the same coin, you know what I mean? Like 
the purpose was the same. Like thematically it was, it was steeped in the same kind of influences, like the darker side of life, I guess. And, you know, being a person who was pressed and kind of socially awkward. And so it was an outlet for me, but, you know, I discovered the weed industry a little bit later, of course, project records, you know, bands like Lycia and Rider Death Now were the ones that kind of stuck out to me, you know, Love's Lice Crushing were, you know, because oh, it was so noise, good. you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know what I mean? It was noisy. Yeah. And I was, I was starting to kind of like catch on to that too, you know, like, okay, I can, I can do stuff that's thought provoking and kind of has a more of a, a beautiful introspective side, but then the other side of it is like, you get that aggression out, you know, you get that, that, you know, that I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to say teen angst, but you know, you're in your early twenties, you've got, you haven't quite figured things out yet. You've got a lot of, you know, maybe some anger and some, some issues. So it was almost like the project, I never split the project, you know, I didn't go do one side being, you know, ambient or whatever. And the other side being like noise, I just kind of, I wore two faces, you know, and it was, I mean, that was the beginning of the project, you know, the influences, I mean, as far as influences are concerned, you know, usual suspects like Godflesh and, you know, Neurosis and Cocteau Twins. And, you know, like I said, some of the early, you know, Cleopatra records and was a big Christian death fan, you know, things like that. And of course, premature ejaculation. I mean, I oh, think that so was great. Yeah. I mean, I saw them live once, I think. Wow. Wow. Yeah, I want to say like 94, 96 or something. It's pretty incredible, you know. And so, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of influences in there that kind of led me to to doing it. And a lot of them weren't as obvious. I wasn't that into noise, you know, like as a genre. I mean, yeah, the, so the influence is undeniable, but I didn't find myself latching on to it as much and making it a direct influence. I think... It was the influence was there, but it wasn't like, okay, I'm going to model myself after, you know, what the Japanese are doing, or I'm going to try to emulate, you know, what the people in, you know, on the Colby industry roster is doing, you know, it was just kind of like, it was there, but, you know, I always just wanted to, to be my, be my own thing, you know, kind of forge my own path. And I was never a purist either. Like I didn't, okay, I'm, I'm doing harsh noise or now I'm doing this and you know like i said never divided the projects up in that way you know it was and i think it may have been a little bit off-putting to some people too because it was like in a way and even over the years too it's like they, it's like they didn't know what they're getting with me you know it's like they couldn't mm-hmm. rely on the project to kind of deliver something specific you know it's like well and niall's got something out i wonder if it's going to be eth industrial i wonder if it's going to be ambient or i wonder if it's going to be you know, heavy electronics or, you know, whatever. So, so yeah, but it was, I was fine with that, you know? And like I said, I may have put some people off and maybe kind of people scratch their heads about the project, but you know, that's just what it hey, was, I guess. No, there's nothing wrong with that, but you immediately <laughs> were putting out your own tapes on, well, at fir- the first tape is just under Nile, correct? Yeah. Nile was mm-hmm. the, the incarnation of it. And that was like, I was saying in a conversation, it was, it was the loop experiments, the real rough, like, I don't have any equipment, but I want to industrial or what have you, you know? And, and so that was the, the beginning of it. There was actually two tapes that I self-released. It was Nile self-titled and I think it's on Discogs. It finally showed up on Discogs. Um, and then the red cassette and, you know, from there I did the water stained black cassette, which was, 
that was where the duality came in, where I did some much more song oriented stuff and very ethereal. And I mean, it had noisy elements to it, but you know, that was when I, right away, I started exploring that other side, you know? Um, and then, you know, of course, I meet certain key people that I guess we'll probably talk about. Um, but, you know, and then, you know, of course, Eric Hoffman comes along and I did tape for Pinch of Loaf, which was still under the Nile kind of moniker. And then, uh, see, I think that was the last. Oh, I did a comp track for, for Jason Mantis Malignant. I did one more thing under the Nile name for, he did the Signs of Infection tape, like one of his earlier you know releases and then i i find out that there was a bunch of like maybe not a bunch but there was a couple of people using the name and one of them was a really bad industrial band so i was like eh, i've got to like i want to keep the name because it, it meant something to me and it, and it was it was important to me but i'm like i have to I have to modify it somehow so right. the, the end you know meaning into and then into nothing was kind of like where the, the title kind of morphed, you know, but it was, it was always one and the same. There was no difference. It was just the, the continuation, just with the name, just being slightly kind of made, you know, made its own thing, you know, because of course you don't want to be lumped into a billion different projects that have the same, you know, name as you. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, well, you mentioned some key people you got in touch with. So let's, let's talk about them. Who, who was it that kind of started linking you up to, to more of a scene? Let's see. So I had the two tapes, the first two tapes, the first demo tapes, the Nile tapes, and I was probably working on a water stained black tape, which was self-released as well. Um, and I went into a record store in Huntington beach and I was there just poking around buying. I think I bought a, a low CD or maybe something else. And I went up to the counter to pay for it and was talking to the guy behind the counter. And somehow I had mentioned that I, I had like a noise project, you know, that I was, that I had, you know, some stuff. And I think it was because it, at that time, like you would do consignment, right. You'd go into, mm-hmm. Oh yeah. You'd, you'd go into places and be like, Hey, you want my tape and take so many and you do some consignment and they sell and, you know, you get something back. And I guess I was kind of pushed, you're know, not really pushing that angle, but I kind of mentioned it to them to kind of test the water to see if they're interested in, it's like, oh, you do noise. And so this was Lob. This was Lob from Instagram. I don't know if you've heard of Instagram. Oh, yeah. Wow. All right. Yeah. So that was Lob. And he was associated with Temple of Psychic Youth at the time and, you know, things like that. And I got him my tapes. I think I may have had some with me. I gave it to him. And he called me up a little bit later and said, hey, you want to play a show? And I'm like, uh, I never thought of it, but okay, you know, I'll play a show. And so the first Nile performance was, what well, was Nile at the time? But the first Nile performance was... I think Koo's Arts Cafe in Santa Ana. And wow. Oh, and that's maybe. on the live in 95 tape. It is. There's some yeah. excerpt. Ex- mm-hmm. I played there a couple of times. There's, yeah, that one. And there's a Impala Cafe excerpt too. And yeah, I wondered where those places were. Yeah. Impala Cafe mm-hmm. was actually, I believe was run by George Spastacolon. I think he had a hands in that. So we did oh, a lot yeah. of shows. Nice. Yeah. We did a lot of shows there. And then the Koo's Arts Cafe too. I mean, I think the the one and only Southern California Noise Fest was held there. And of course that was preceded the the first NorCal noise fest, which is in 95, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but yeah, the, that's how it started with him. And then, you know, I was playing with shows with, with him. I'd open up for him occasionally, you know, like two or three shows and then played a show with Spastic Colin. Um, Heck yeah. And uh, of course, you know, Instagon myself and Spastic Colin and I'd met Eric and I'd played a set and he was like, dude, like you want to do a tape? I'm like, 
okay, you know. So yeah, yeah. That was the uh, that was a heavy electronics volume one one tape. And at that time, I was kind of getting my feet underneath me with kind of getting my sound, kind of getting the 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 heaviness that I wanted, kind of learning how to build those loops into something that was kind of intense, and then kind of bringing it into like some of the harsher noise stuff. By then, I'd had I don't know probably a metal zone and uh, you know, a couple other things and, you know, and that was that tape, you know, and from there it was like, I think, you know, he, he was, you know, back in the day, you know, like you say, you had to send stuff out, you know? So I think he was working on getting distro stuff and that tape ended up in like the anomalous catalog. And I'm pretty sure he sent some to Ron. Right on. And things kind of, I'm not going to say snowball, but that was like the beginning, you know, it was those shows and, you know, that tape I did with Eric. And then of course, you know, I did, I produced my own CD shortly after that. And, you know, that was just kind of the, the beginning of it. I, I ended up doing another big moment or kind of big, you know, formative situation and, and event was the, I'd say the NorCal Noise Fest. Before we continue our conversation with N. Nile, a quick word from our sponsor, Mark of the Devil. Released in 1970, this true and historically accurate documentary quickly became famous due to its unflinching depictions of the horrors of Christianity and its over-the-top advertising campaign, positively the most horrifying film ever made. Now, Self Abuse Records presents a six-cassette compilation with six different artists who are also fanatics of cult cinema. Featuring 60 minutes each from Richard Ramirez, Yellow Gas Flames, Skin Crime, Virgin Entrails, Cleanse, and Lasuria, all packaged inside an authentic Mark of the Devil vomit bag. This release is rated V for violence. Available now at selfabuserecords.net. That um, seems to be a big, that first one, we've yeah. talked to multiple people yeah. who were there, that was it also seemed to be an event where a lot of people met in person for the first time. So yeah. we've, we've talked to a lot of people who were involved in that. And it seems like what a big event that was for a lot of the California artists. Yeah. And I think and it's funny too, because it was such a mixed bag back then, you know, it was like, you had, you know, kind of chin scratching, like super intellectual stuff. Then you had, stuff, you know, people like Joe Colley that was doing really great stuff. And, you know, I met Randy, Randy Gao at that point. Yeah. And he, mm-hmm. he had a, um, he had a, he had a radio station, a little college radio station. I think when he was going to school in San Luis Obispo, the dark, dark market. market broadcast. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Actually, yeah, I actually played on that. I think once or twice. Oh, cool. Oh, cool. Um, That's awesome. Yeah. But you know, you meet all these people and at the time you don't necessarily think it's 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 anything you know but then years down the road you realize okay these people have gone on to do some really great things and but it's funny because i you know i'll be honest with you like i never really connected with i think at that show i mean i i met people you know i hey how are you i'm adam and you know i went up there with lob he kind of brought me up there and introduced me to joe and you know certain people were there and and of course i had known eric by then and my tape was out and stuff and so it was those two had kind of like brought me in you know and but I was so awkward you know I was so shy is, is that, I was so is, like is that yeah I was gonna ask is that mm-hmm. just your personality is it is Absolutely. it hard for you to yeah really connect at least in, immediately Absolutely I mean 
even at 45 years old, I mean, getting on here with you guys, I was like, oh, shit. You know, it's. And we get it. And a lot of people we talk to do feel that way. And, you know, we, and, but, we, you know, for us, it's, it's, it's so exciting for us to get to talk to you or, or anyone we talk to that eventually everyone gets put pretty much at ease knowing that we're just, we're just excited. Well, you mentioned releasing your own CD, which you did in 1996. Uh, yeah. As, as someone who I think I released my first CD in like 2004 out now, I'd have to check Discogs or something, but uh, it seemed a lot easier than actually my first CDs were done with Eric Hoffman uh, because he was yeah. handling pressing then. So it was wonderfully easy because I was just dealing with Eric to do that. Yeah. But um, how, what about in 1996? How did you go about what made you decide to press your own CD and how did you go about even figuring out you know where to do it as someone running your own label and kind of just getting yeah. established in um, this? Well, the, the label thing was kind of, it wasn't even like a premeditated or kind of pre kind of masterminded thing. It was like, I just, I think when you get the same answer from a lot of people is that you just want an outlet to release your own stuff where you're not compromising too much in terms of waiting around, I guess, for, for people. I mean, cause at that point I'd only had the tape, you know, with Eric and I'd done the comp track with Malignant. And I had recording, you know, so it was like, I, you know, I got these recordings. I'm, I'm kind of writing this album, so to speak. It was semi-conceptual and was a coherent, like, album, you know. It wasn't just a collection of tracks that I had uh, threw together. Going back to how, um, you kind of just said it to Eric. He had discovered this guy or got in touch with someone somehow that was doing 500 CDs for $500. Um, and they were just bulk CD. It was just the CD. You didn't get any packaging or, wow. or anything like that. And I guess I had a, a job at the time and still living at home. So I was like, okay, like, let me save up some money and, and uh, just put a CD out, you know, and I go to the local print shop and just get a simple, like, insert and buy the little plastic bags from another company and, and, you know, get a little sticker to put on it. And that was it, you know, probably cost six, 700 bucks to make. And of course at this point, you know, in hindsight, you probably gave most of them away, but you know, yeah. So that was it. I mean, it was just, I had an album that I had worked on. I wanted to kind of just get it out there and do my own thing and not wait around for someone to offer something. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's just that simple. It wasn't, it wasn't that, um, that much Did to you, it. As far as distribution, were you, were you going with anomalous, triple oh, yeah. um, et cetera? You know, I didn't, yes and no, you know, it was kind of like, you know, you, you flip through the magazines and stuff and you, you find, you know, for example, you would back in the time there was, I don't know, there was audio drives. There was, you know, fever pitch. There was, Escados, there was a couple of couple of them, you know, and you would send them out, you know, and then you would get, you know, you would get just addresses from distros. And I don't know if I ever set up distro for that particular thing. I know there was some, and I know I I would just send them out, you know, just to college radio. You know, there's a couple of different radio stations that were doing it. I probably sent some overseas to whoever, you know, at the time. I'm kind of drawing a blank on, on that, you know, I mean, I, I, I sold some, you know, I, I, you know, the few shows that I played, I would, you know, probably sold some 
And a lot of them, like I said, a lot of them just got given away, you know, like, I mean, that's how first yeah. things like that work. Now, did you get in contact with Ron Lassard via the pinch loaf tape then? Yeah, I think, again, that was Eric and he, you know, he knew what he was doing. He, he, he had, you know, he um, sent stuff. I think Ron got a hold of that and, you know, eventually probably, I don't know, late 95, maybe early 90s, eh, somewhere in my the timeline's kind of hazy. But he had sent me a letter, you know, just, it's funny, written on a little scratch piece of paper, just with his right, you know, just super, yeah. like, super to the point, just, hey, want to do a pure CD? I'm like, okay, yeah, great. So you write him back, snail mail, right? And then you hear back, it's like, okay. So I'm like, okay, I'll work on some stuff. Okay, a couple months later, okay, I got some stuff. You send it, you know, you send him the, the DAT master or whatever. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. And that actually had a lot of material on it. It's packed. And now did you, were you, were you, when you were working on that material, was it in your head that this is going to be, get out there, you know, a um, lot more than even just the tape? Was that in your mind or did you just make what you made and, and, you know, sent well, it out? you know, it's funny. Uh, the, the pure CD, the, that cover is iconic, you know, yeah. and you see mm-hmm. the ice would see them. I would say, Oh, yeah. that's okay. That's this. And, and I kind of put the two and two together. I'm like, okay, this is this is something that could potentially, you know, kind of put me out there to a wider kind right. of existence, I guess. You know what I mean? And I was all for that. I mean, I wasn't, it was all, you know, it wasn't all about getting out there, but it was, you know, you're going to put your, sure. your time into something. You're going to put your heart and soul into something. You know, you want it to be well-received. You want it to get into the hands of people that appreciate it. And it, it was a good opportunity, you know? Um, and yeah, and it's funny because it took a long time for it to come out from the first time that he like said, Hey, you know, you want to do it. And I'm like, you know, yeah, I want to do it. And then so material goes out to him and then months go by. And so I'm like, Hmm, you know, and so write him another letter and he'd come back like, sorry, you know, I've been asleep, you know, uh, <laughs> just want to sit around and watch the Simpsons and, you know, I'll, I'll get to, I'll get to your pure CD, you know, pretty soon, you know, and, First couple of months go by again and then it shows up and it's like, cool, you know, here it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and interestingly so cool. enough, I'd sent him a lot of material for that. What material he didn't use, like he handpicked it. Like he, that wasn't like a, the way I'd sequenced the tracks, you know, I'd sent him a lot of material and he had sequenced it. He had chosen the stuff that he wanted in the order that he wanted it. And whatever was, what was left over ended up being the recycled tape. Oh, cool. Ah. Yeah. So that was all in one session. In fact, I think he even took a piece of one of those tracks and put it on the triple R 500. So it was like, oh, he killed, awesome. yeah. So he like killed three birds with one stone. You know <laughs> hey, I mean? it's and great. Double recycled. Yeah. Using yeah. every little triple. scrap. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, honestly, I didn't have a whole lot of rapport with him after that. He was, everything was very like to the point. It was very business. You know, I guess yeah. he'd seen something in the project and thought, Hey, this would fit for, with the label. And, and, you know, he offered it to me, I, you know, I accepted it and that was pretty much it. Never got to, you know, make it out there to meet him. Never, you know, really stayed in too much contact with him after that. Sure. I think maybe I had done some trades with him and, you know, got a big box of stuff from him at one point, but, but yeah, I mean, I didn't, I didn't, you know, like I was, I didn't connect with people, you know, like Eric was someone that I knew for a period of time. And, and even that kind of fizzled out just because, of my nature as a person, you know, um, it was just really hard for me to develop friendships and relationships with people, you know, in that regard. Um, I think 
the longest person I stayed in contact with from that kind of beginning was Lob. And the whole thing with Eric kind of came and went over like a couple of years, you know, and it wasn't really no bad blood or anything. It wasn't like you know, falling out or anything like just that. Just sort it of was, faded. And yeah. It happened. Yeah, it just faded, you know, and I kind of kind of moved on and did some things with a bunch of different other labels. And then of course he went on and did Groundfall and, and stuff like that. But yeah, it was just kind of just faded away. You know, it was never, like I said, never really anything, no, no, no events that kind of were the catalyst for it, but you know, just kind of happened, you know, and kind of is like that with a lot of the people that I, you know, were talking to at the time, you know, um, and in hindsight, you know, it's kind of like, but could I could have hung on to some of those relationships and, who knows, you know, what it what may have would have amounted to and things like that. But you know, I was in contact with a lot of the usual suspects, you know. I mean, Patrick of self-abuse, and you know, I was sending stuff to him and I was actually supposed to do a 10-inch on his terminal ward label at oh, one point. Oh man. Towards wow. he, the was, end. He, he was excited to hear we were talking to you. Yeah. I we, oh, cool. I, I talked yeah. to him and mentioned that we're talking to you. He's like, oh, awesome. that's great. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think sometimes even the more time that's passed, it's like the closer you even feel to somebody because you forget the reason that you stopped talking. Or, yeah, or there, so yeah. It's or just, there is it's no just reason. Kind of, there is yeah. no reason. So it's just kind of yeah, there was you know, good feelings. Yeah. yeah, I never I never had any any beef with anyone or anything like that. It was just always just, it was my personality that, that kind of made things kind of just not happen or deteriorate you know i mean on that note too i was in contact you know this is towards like the first kind of incarnation of, of in nile was i guess in 97 things were for me they were starting to run their course and i was thinking about it last night and it was like it's almost like i had a specific amount of material in me it's all very personal it was always very close to to the heart in a lot of ways and it was like once i had kind of exercised that you know the inspiration it, 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 it's almost like it was depleting me. You know, I was depleted. You know what I mean? Like I had gone super prolific for like a year or two years straight. And by the end of it, I was just like, I, I, I need to disconnect. You know, I had offers. Like I was going to do a CD for old Europe cafe. I was oh, going to wow. do it. I was going to, yeah, I was going to do a drone seven inch and I just disappeared. It just, I didn't, I just couldn't do it. You know what I mean? It was like, Life kind of happens too. At that time, I was, you know, I was kind of living out on my own and trying to make a living, trying to pay bills. Kind of went down the rabbit hole a bit and had some rough times. And, you know, so it's, yeah, you know, you look back, you look back and you're like, damn, you know, I could have stuck with it. You know, who knows, you know, what things would be like now for that. But I don't really have any regrets. You know, it was time for me to hang it up for that period of time. So I hung it up. I guess I just, I wanted to live it. For the next time around, you know, I need to go out and get those life experiences and and really live the project. And I thought during that time that, yeah, I probably would come back to it, make my way back, kind of put give it another go, which which I did. You know, um, there was actually um, or just a couple of years before I actually kind of came back, which I actually tried to kind of come back. in. Well, before that, I had called it quits. Right. So I wasn't recording anymore. I was just kind of living up in Hollywood, working a lot. And just kind of, like I said, it's kind of self-destructing, you know? And I somehow Michael from Death Squad had contacted me, got a hold of me somehow, I think maybe through Lob or something. And I had done the split with him. Right. On, on spastic communication. Yeah. Right? And, yeah. you know, going back to the noise fest thing, he was the one act that when he played, it was like, it was this thing, like he came in, he was there for like 
five minutes. He set up his, his stuff. He fucking killed it. And then he disappeared. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> These are the people that I can align myself with, you know? And, and it's, again, like his imagery back in the day, it was darker. Some, it was violent. And the there stuff. wasn't, there wasn't, you know, at LA at the time, there wasn't a lot of people doing that. It was, it was very like, almost, there was almost a comedic edge to a lot of the projects, you know, like mm. nobody really took themselves too seriously at that time, it seemed, you know, and there was, again, there's a very like academic kind of like, I think feel to the, that, I guess scene, you know, I hate to use sure. that word, but scene at the time, you know what I mean? And there wasn't a whole lot of people doing like the darker, serious as fuck type of stuff, you know, like, like kind of like he was, at least I didn't know about it. You know what I mean? Like, and again, I wasn't super connected with people. So if that stuff existed, it wasn't, I wasn't aware of it, you know? Well, he was, he definitely took it to another level for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And so we just talked, you know, just went back and forth a few times and, you know, we ended up doing the tape together and stuff, but fast forward a bit, 2000, no, I'm sorry, not 2000, uh, 1998, he was starting the self-annihilation tour. Right. And um, he had tracked me down somehow. He got a hold of me and asked me to open for him. So I hadn't played for like two, three years, I guess. I think my last shows were the end of like 95 or 96. And I stopped playing live too and just focused on the recording and just kind of became a recording project. You know what I mean? And so I just kind of was like, ah, I don't, don't want to do it. I don't want to play. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to play live. I don't want to come back out and do that, but I did it. And I played that show in 98 and then quietly just, you know, went back. <laughs> went back that was kind of the end of the first yeah. era. Yeah. That was the end of the first era. Mm-hmm. And I went back under my rock, you know, and didn't really look back. It was fine. Had unfinished. This is one of those things I'm, I'm often curious about when people, uh, stop, but then you come back, you know, you started again in 2010 doing more releases up until, up until present, you've been just active kind of continuously. Yeah. 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 But, mm-hmm. uh, in the period when you weren't working on this stuff, do you, did you think about it? Did it occur to you? Was it something that you had any interest in doing or was it just sort of part of your life that was like in the garage or whatever in storage and you didn't really think about it? It was out of sight, out of mind. It was a little bit of both. I'd kind of gone down a path that was dangerous you know what i mean for lack of a better way to put it and you know i i was kind of at that age or you know early to mid-20s i guess at the time and just kind of not giving a shit and just kind of kind of in self-destruct mode a little bit you know what i mean so i didn't didn't often think about it because i was i was kind of gone you know mentally i wasn't you know i was self-medicating so to speak you know and so there wasn't you know, through the haze, I guess, you know, there was times where I did kind of like, oh, you know, I remember when I did that, you know, and that'd be cool one of these days to maybe do that again. And, but I didn't really have a real interest in it. You know, I, the interest had been depleted. And like I said, I felt like I had gotten it all kind of out of my system for that first incarnation. And um, I didn't really have an interest for a really long time, you know, for a couple of years. Um, thing, you know, living in Hollywood kind of ran its course. Um, you know, I had some, some rough times up there. Ended up moving out to Colorado. Um, didn't do any music, you know, and I just kind of got disinterested in it. It just wasn't, this wasn't really, you know, it just wasn't something I wanted to pursue, you know, but I kind of, I think in 2001, I actually started working on another Nile, um album, which ended up being the absolute, and it ended up 
years later ended up being released on um, Love Earth Music, which was actually the first release I did when I kind of came back in 2010. But a little bit, back up a little bit, a little bit of history of that. I resurfaced in 2001 to kind of put that album with the album. Like, you know, and I kind of, I guess I sort of shopped it a little bit. Like I kind of went on one of the noise boards at that time. I was like, hey, you know, I'm kind of back. got an album, you know, who's interested? You know, anybody interested in checking this out or maybe releasing it? And um, <clears throat> Scott, you know, from Grunt Splatter had. Oh, yeah. Heck cryonic, yeah. Yeah. yeah he, had, he had cryonic mind at the time. He's like, yeah, I'm, I'm certainly interested, you know. Um, so I finished it up, um, which, you know, to this day, I feel like it's honestly it's like some of my best material. You know, it's very focused. It's, it's very, very like industrial, like straightforward, you know, industrial, noisy stuff, you know. Um, and I was really excited about it because, I, like I said, I felt like it had been, some, you know, my best stuff. And I had that space between it, between, the, you know, the first incarnation and this, in 2001. And I'm like, you know, I wanna, I'm going to get this out. This is great. And he agreed to do it. And we were all set to do it. And um, something happened with, with him, you know, as I guess the label didn't, wasn't able to continue, you know, and so I didn't shop it. I didn't, I didn't send it to anybody else. I just it was on zip, zip disc and just filed it away. And then fast forward to 2010 and I came back, like really came back and I'm going to keep recording. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to kind of resurrect the project. <clears throat> And that was the 2010 incarnation. You know, that's when I kind of come back and, you know, did the stuff with Grant and, you know, did the CD on Ivan records and did a bunch of cool splits and did like a trilogy of tapes. And, you know, so that was kind of the second, second run, so to speak. And that lasted, um, I think up until like 2014, I want to say. I think the last thing I did was the split with compactor void. Mm. And I think again, then I, then I kind of some life stuff happened, but not for the same reason, you know, it was, it was, I mean, I had a, had a kid, you know, life's kind of changed and priorities changed and I had to kind of hang it up again to kind of, you know, deal with priorities, I guess, you know, but again, you know, it was like, if I really felt the need to continue the project at that point, I probably would have, you know, I wouldn't have let that life stuff kind of, kind of stop me. But again, I guess I'd felt like I'd made my point or whatever. And I, I had depleted my, my inspiration for that particular era too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Era too. Right. And so again, you go back underground and life happens. It's different circumstances this time. It's a much better, much more positive circumstance, you know, married my, mm. married my wife. And of course during the pandemic, at a lot of times. So I recorded a lot of stuff. It's still kind of seeing a light of day. You know what I mean? You became a chef at a certain point. Yeah. Was that in the, in the mid two thousands or is this more something that's in the post 2010s? Well, I, you know, I worked in, in kitchens for years and I didn't set out right. to, to do that. You know, it was like, it was a necessity. You need a job. You know, my sister worked at a restaurant. So I got a job working down in the takeout area and I was like, oh, you know, that looks fun. I want to, I want to cook, you know? So I ended up doing that. And then it just kind of, you know, over time, you know, you do it for 10 years and eventually people give, give you sous chef positions and then and they give you, you know, head mm -hmm. chef positions. And next thing you know, you know, 
you, you know, you rise up through the ranks and now I'm a private chef, you know, and that's great. I work for somebody pretty well known, which I'm not allowed to talk about, but of course, but yeah, of course. you know what I mean? So it's that it's one of those things where, you know, it just kind of, you build your career, you know, just like with anything, you start out at the bottom and you, you kind of work your way up through, through the ranks, but it's, it's very demanding, you know, it's exhausting mentally and, and physically, you know, and, you know, it, just touch on one of your other questions. It, it's, there was a creative outlet there too, right? As a chef. So, well, that, so that's what I was going to, that's yeah. actually what I was going to ask is, do you see a correlation with being a chef and making noise? It's funny you mentioned that. Um, and I think it's absolutely, um, there's a duality to it. It's like the Nile stuff was obviously kind of the ugly side of it, you know? And then of course there's, being a chef and being artistic and putting beautiful food on a plate and popping colors and things like that and being creative with flavors and plate presentation is another side of it. I mean, I'm, I'm a Gemini, so I don't know if that has anything to do with it, but you know what I mean? Right. So there's, there's two sides to, to, to our personalities to some degree. Yeah, and I think, talked a little bit earlier about uh, doing computer programming when I was younger and working in IT and stuff. And I used to same kind of way feel like uh, coding and programming was a very creative act. It's a very functional and sort of structured thing, but it's this sort of problem solving and creativity and coming up with different ways to, uh, you know, a solution that, you know, you need. And uh, so I can completely identify with also, you know, finding a creative outlet in, in cooking or in, you know, whatever it might be. Yeah. And it's funny because at the time I was, well, I mean, recently, actually, I mean, actually for the last two incarnations of the project, I was doing both. I was doing both. I mean, there was certain job positions where I wasn't allowed to be creative, but, but there was times where it lined up where I was a head chef somewhere and I was creating menus every day. And then I come home and, you know, work on tracks, you know, and put, put tapes together and stuff, you know what I mean? And, and work on, on, on that side of it. And very rarely did it line up that way, but I feel like over the last several years or so, it's, it's kind of worked out that way where I, I have both sides of it. You know, I can, I can do this side of it. And then of course, you know, you have the other side of it, which obviously polar opposites, but there's still, you know, creative outlets. It's funny. I never thought of it like that, but yeah. I, used to, I would say you certainly have that, you know, intensity and drive to work long hours in your sound project, but as well as, you know, meeting the demands of, of being a chef. Yeah, you have to you know commit to things, I guess. That's the whole thing about being prolific for short bursts of time. Like you really you commit, you know, like you you on the floor with your gear, you're hunched over, you're in a you're in a garage, it's it's hot, there's you know, bugs buzzing around you and caterpillars creeping by you, you know, and it's you're just out there in that, you know, and you're channeling it, you know, it's ugly, it's it's uncomfortable, and it, you know. And you're creating in that environment. And then you go into a kitchen and, you know, it's, it's a different environment, but you're creating too, you know, it's different intensity. It's a different, and that's a different, you know, obviously a different dynamic with that, but they're kind of one in the same, I guess. And so your project has this theme of, of course, darkness, but, but death going through it for all of these years. So. Absolutely. Is there a way that death has touched you? I think you can. You go back to just being horribly depressed in your teenage years and, you know, your interest in music kind of reflects that as well. But yeah, I mean, I've always been kind of obsessed with it and fascinated by it. And it's the 
the theme has always been the same. It's just how I, I choose to kind of word it, you know? I mean, a lot of this, this, the album titles mirror themselves. They're absolutely the same. You know, it's the impending doom, you know, the inevitability of it, you know, the totality of it. And it's terrifying. It's absolutely terrifying to think that it, you know, that's it. It's, 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 it's a futile existence, you know, I don't want to sound too, too much like that, but it's, it's absolutely real, you know, and it's, it's absolutely something that's knowing that and that concept and that looming kind of inevitability is always made a huge part in what kind of inspired the, the project, you know, and it's a very sad kind of thing in a way, you know, it's because it's, it's happening. It's happening to all of us and it's, you can't escape it, you know? And so, yeah, the inspiration and the theme for the project has always reflected that, you know what I mean? It's, it's of course there's been, you know, stuff that's kind of weaved its way in and out, you know, it's not completely directly, you know, related to that, but I would say the majority of, of my output and the themes and kind of track titles and album titles are, are indicative of, of, of that. And of course you would work with one of our very favorite artists who is also very much in touch with death and what that meant to him was Marco Corbelli. You did absolutely tape on um, slaughter. How, how did that end up coming about? Well, you know, it's funny and I can, can kill a couple of birds with one stone on this. It's, you know, the death keep CD, you know, that was one of the first ones. There was a couple before that, um, I know bliss was a tape I did on, on, on isolation. And that actually had some of the material ended up on death keeps. And then I had done quietus, which was, you know, a darker kind of death industrial ambient and a kind of tape. And death keeps was the natural progression of that. And that's the red stream CD, right? That's the red stream CD. And, and, you know, that kind of came about, in an interesting way, you know, too, but to get to the, the Marco part of the question is he, he got that CD. He had, he had bought it or, or whatever, and he had obtained it and he wrote me and was like, Hey, I love, you know, I loved your death keep CD. You'd like to do something for, for slaughter. Yes. Yeah. And yeah, absolutely. You know, and at the time I, you know, <clears throat> offers, you know, there's so many more labels. It's so saturated now and there's so many, people and offers are coming in and, and this and that, but there wasn't, it was so much smaller than, you know what I mean? It was right. so much smaller. Mm-hmm. It was, you know, and it's, so I knew I'd known about slaughter, you know, and the Italian kind Italian dudes, you know, and just got a letter from him one day and he, you know, I love your, you love your album. You want to do a tape? That's sure. So cool. You know, of course the snail mail thing takes forever, you know, he's yeah. in Italy and, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> so in fact, this, I think the one I did for Murder Release, The Dying Light, that was actually the last release wow. that I did okay. that I so that you, I did for that era. The first so that was co- after the slaughter tape. Because Mur- yeah. Murder Release to to us is a very we, we love Murder Corporation, mm-hmm. but mur- the Murder Release releases are I think some of the hardest to track down as the years go on. It's it's even even a lot of our friends who have insane collections yes. their murder yeah. release section is generally pretty slim yeah i mean 
I, you know, I'm not much of a collector, honestly. I mean, mm. I ended up losing my whole collection at one point, you know, um, and I've kind of gotten it back. Not, I wouldn't say I gotten, I haven't gotten any of it back per se, but I've kind of started to kind of build it up again, you know, right. I have boxes of stuff, you know, whatever. And, but yeah, I mean, that was another thing where he had heard the death keeps album and was like, yeah, this is right in my alley. You want to do a tape? And, awesome. You know, so yeah. And, and then years later, you know, on the second car- incarnation, you know, Ivan records came along, of course they're Italian and they mm. did the approaching dark CD for me. And you know, the Italians for some reason, you know, um, they love their death. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They love their death. That's yeah. That's, that's a really great way to, to finish off an era though. Right. Slaughter, murder yeah. release. Well, I can see sure. being in touch with death. If you're surrounded by relics of history from so long, like ancient history, you know, things from a thousand years ago, five and you're, and you're constantly touched by people that no longer exist and cultures that no longer exist and languages that are no longer spoken. And you're confronted by it. The recycled tape that we are as people. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Now you said you really only played live in around in 95. Have you played live in in any of these uh, comeback eras? Yeah. yeah. Actually. Yeah, I did. um, I got in touch with during the second incarnation, the 2009, 2010 resurfacing. I had shortly after I gotten in touch with Lee from um, theologian, Navicon right. torture technology. He had, we'd started just talking and he, he invited me to do, you know, his apex fest at one point, I think it was 2013. He did it. And, you know, and I was, I did it. I mean, that was, that was the only shows I had done. Oh no, that's not true. I did a show at the handbag factory. Oh, in, think, in LA. Yeah. Prior to that. And I don't even remember who was on the with me at that point but yeah so i did a show at the handbag factory and then i did the apex fest flew out to you know first boston stayed with with egan but you know xiphoid met you and you know i'd met met andy from vomit arsonist and he he did some shows and ended up doing a a basement show at uh, i guess shane shane michael broderick i guess the guy from corfolicism Corf- two dead sluts one good fuck that dude yeah we ended up doing a show in his basement you know uh i think i think i actually think i pl- i think we played in that basement that's po- i think it possibly really the, the basement yeah yeah you remember that we played that and the cops came oh, i think that might have yes. been his house i might be wrong okay. about that i might be now we definitely played a basement in boston where the cops came yeah uh, and no. this is a while ago so <laughs> they, were, uh, yeah. they were nice about it yeah they, were nice yeah, about they, it. they just had yeah. they just we, the show like had to stop enough yeah. you know <laughs> yeah but i mean there was a short it was a short like tour i mean we played it was like a you know at the scene new york played it uh Someplace in Brooklyn, I can't remember the video. There's a video of it up on oh, cool. somewhere. Yeah, audio quality is not great, but but yeah, it was a couple of shows. And inter- interestingly enough, that got kind of screwed up because it was during the time of the the Boston uh, bombing. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah, that had happened. I think it was like a couple of days before I was supposed to fly out there. That happened, mm. and so a couple of the shows got canceled, and that's why we ended up doing the show in the basement. And, the attendance at the shows was, was really kind of poor. And, and so that was kind of, for me, it was like, eh, you know, it's just, it would kind of turn me off a bit to it. And not to mention playing live was always, for me, it felt like such a disappointment. 
you know, you, it, there's this build up to it. There's this anticipation to it and you get your set certain way, or you go up there and you, and you just feel at the end of it, like, fuck, you know, Ugh. and you feel drained, you know? And so I think at that point, I had told myself like, okay, after this, I'm, I'm not going to do this anymore. I don't want to put myself through this anymore. And so I haven't, haven't done any live stuff since then. And I don't really plan to, you know, I've got a couple invites here and there, but I'm just like, Oh no, no, thanks. You know, and again, life, you know, having kids, having a full-time job and things like that doesn't really allow it like it would have before either, you know? So you yeah, seem to the- be, I was going to say, you seem to be content to play you know, alone. It seems like all of your recordings I mean, are by yourself. And you mean, that's how I think of you. I mean, and the, correct I mean, me if the, I'm wrong. The name of the original label yeah. isolation. I think it's all, yeah. it's you, you, there's, <laughs> there's no, this, it's not a, it's not a, uh, it's not a group activity. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it never was. In fact, I don't think I've, I've only have rarely, rarely, rarely ever collaborated in terms of joining the sounds together with mm-hmm. anyone, you know, it's all splits. I like, I'll do splits to the, to the end of the earth. Cause I think it's a great opportunity to kind of expose yourself to the other artists audience. I've done a lot of them. I've done a lot of splits and I think those are great. But as far as collaborating, I just, I want to control it because it's, it's an extension of myself. Right. So it's trying to collaborate when you have that kind of, mindset about your own material is, is hard you know i don't i just never felt the need for it and it it was never appealing you know um and if people have wanted to in the past you know it doesn't happen often but i kind of back away from it and you know just kind of decline it politely for the most part what is driving you these days in in 2022 what is what is driving you to continue creating in this third era of that Nile? Well, I, in a way, I feel like I still have things to say, you know, I mean, I started it so many years ago and kind of just felt like, I think the project was kind of overlooked to a degree, you know, um, because of the inconsistency of, you know, I'd be around mm-hmm. and, be very prolific for a few years and then disappear. And then so you come back out and you have to kind of reintroduce yourself right. to the current crop of, of, yeah. of people, you know what I mean? And it's, so it's like, I'm always kind of reintroducing myself to the new crowd. So it's, so, I mean, that's, I wouldn't say that's what drives it, but I found that that's a necessity, you know, when you kind of come back out after being away for, for years at a time, you know, you kind of have to reestablish yourself to a degree, but I think, third time around, I've, I've learned to, like I said before, pace myself a bit. And I'm like, I'm more comfortable with the fact that I feel like I don't, you know, I don't have to kind of do that this time. Like mm-hmm. I'm here, but I'm here, I'm back. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm kind of here to stay for the most part. It's like the third and final incarnation of the project. So I think, you know, I may kind of take times off here and there, but I think at this point the project will continue you know, there won't be any major disappearing acts going on. A little bit more of a, a, a relaxed kind of leisure way, I guess. You know, treat it a little bit more like a like a hobby or an outlet at this point for when it's needed or necessary. Isolation has a different face at this point in your life. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's always been that. I've always been much more content, just kind of, you know, locked away in the bedroom or what have you and 
and, you know, working on the stuff and making those connections, you know, getting, getting the stuff to the right labels and getting it to people that, it, you know, appreciate it. But yeah, it, it's ultimately, it is just about the creative process for me and, and, in a vacuum, so to speak, or, or in isolation. Cause I don't, I don't listen to a lot of this type of stuff, you know, I never really did. And I never really connected too heavily with it. I mean, there's, I make exceptions. There's certain artists that I do enjoy and, and, you know, I have a tremendous amount of respect for, for so many of, of the people that have been doing it consistently for 20 some odd years. And, you know, and it really, you know, kind of, done that, you know, um, I don't listen to much of it. I never really did, but I think I, I appreciate it. And I, and obviously I'm a big, well, I didn't say a big part of it, but I mean, I'm a part of, of it and it's, and it's history, I guess. And, and, you know, at least from the standpoint of, of the early to mid nineties, you know? And so I, I feel like I, I you know, I want to keep contributing to it, you know? What do you have coming out that you are particularly excited about? Is there anything that's coming out soon that you are looking forward to seeing the light of day? Uh, you know, honestly, I think I'm doing my best work now. You know, um, I think I've been doing my best work since, you know, the later part of the, you know, second kind of incarnation. Um, I'm just, I'm just honing my skills. You know, it's funny because, almost 30 years later, I'm still honing my skills, but it, Hey, I you know, think it, that's, that's, yep. that's how it goes. I feel that, that a lot, so many people we talk to, I know we feel that. I mean, that's the that exciting part. As the years go on, it, it you never, you never feel suit content. You can just continue to hone it in. Like you said, I do feel that yeah. that's something, especially in abstract sound. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, you just get better. And the thing about me is I had to come back obviously all these times and re learn, you know, like I put my equipment down for a couple months. It's like, I, when I come back to it, it's like, okay. Uh, you know, how, how was I doing, you know? And, right. and then it eventually it does, it comes back to you. And then, you know, and if you stay with it enough and you know, you're pounding out releases and stuff and, you know, by the time you're, maybe three or four in by that fifth one, you're really hitting your stride and, you know, it's stuff's coming together in a way that you want it to. And it's a lot more fluid and it's, it's the end of it. You're like, okay, cool. Like that's, I set out to, to do this and I've accomplished that. And it's, it's as heavy as I want it to be. It's, 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 it's got the, it's got the emotions that I want it to, that I want to hit on and, intensity is there, you know, whatever. So you have to be happy with it. You know, and I found that I'm a lot more consistently happy with, you know, the material over the last, you know, 10 years than, you know, I've ever been, you know, and as far as new stuff, I mean, I do have some stuff, you know, down the pipe. I, I actually did a purely kind of drone, you know, ambient album under the Nile, you know, banner, the first one I've kind of done and a really, probably since the death keeps you. I mean, that was really the only pure kind of dark ambient album that I've, that I've done. I mean, a lot of the releases have that type of stuff sprinkled through it and that's coming out on, um, God, what's it? Zoners network. And it's actually a split with another artist, um, stress signals. So that's, that's coming up. I mean, I got a, I think I got a three inch on various activities coming up at some point. Um, 
working on some stuff. I just had something come out on serrated tapes, which I'm pretty proud of. It's a pretty straightforward arse noise, industrial, lots of loops and, you know, sheet metal being banged around through, not just starting, you know, <laughs> source yeah. of metal, <laughs> that type of thing, you know, not to dumb it down, but yeah, you know, so there's, again, there's still those different sides of it, but I think for the most part, my recordings, you know, again, like, since the second incarnation have been kind of a mixture of all those things, you know, um, you know, there's elements of, of industrial and there's, there's passages of stuff that's a little more dark, dark ambient and, introspective and then you know a lot of time i'll build that up into something that's a little more harsh and intense and so instead of just doing albums that are clearly one way or you know or the other i've i've kind of found a and a happy kind of mix of, of, of all those the styles that i like to you know, kind of do kind of well you you you'd send us some of the newer stuff and that mm-hmm. the split with soot with the decay on infinite, I feel combines a lot of that stuff really well. Yeah. Thanks. No, you know, I'm, I'm again, and it just depends on the release, you know, like that right. one, I felt like at the time when I put that together, I was like, okay, you know, I, I want to create something that's got this type of feel to it. And that's what was in me at the time. You know, that's what needed to come out at the time. You know, I didn't, didn't feel like bashing a bunch of pedals and, you know, throwing contacts mics around at the time. I wanted to kind of get into the equipment and create an atmosphere and and build it up into something, you know, and that's a lot of, that's absolutely how all of it kind of comes to be is it's, it just depends on the mood. It's very dictated by the emotion that I'm feeling or the mood that I want to kind of get across at the time. You know, I don't go, okay, I'm working, I'm recording for this label. I need to do, this type of thing right. it's like mm-hmm. if i just happen to be in a mood where i'm doing a bunch of harsh harsher stuff then that's hey that's what it is that, you know yeah. <laughs> that's what's gonna happen mm-hmm. yeah awesome well this has been a really cool conversation it's really really cool different perspective uh from someone who was very much a part of the yes. mid 90s Air, which is obviously something that speaks to all three of us. Some of our absolute favorite stuff is from that time. Of course, working with Pure, working with Marco, working with Murder Release. Just oh, su- so cool. Such, a, such an exciting thing to get to talk to and get your perspective on this. And Thanks. there's a, a great, one of the great releases from that era is Assertive Order of obedience on labyrinth. Great. Yes, talked about listening to it on our last episode. And the cover is very striking. And we are going Memorable. to, we are going to hop on over to the page, to the Patreon. All right. So that we can get the answer to the question. <laughs> what the heck did you do to Eric Hoffman? Oh man. All right. <laughs> <laughs> You've been listening to Noise Extra. Noise Extra is brought to you by Chondritic Sound, a home to noise artist for over 17 years, by Verdant Weapons, maker of quality contact microphones and noise devices, and by our Patreon supporters. You can find our Patreon at patreon.com slash noise extra, and your support really helps. 
You can find us on Instagram at Noise Extra, on the web at noiseextra.com, one E in those, and on Twitter at Noise Extra, with three A's at the end. Thank you for listening to us and to Noise.